Thank you for listening to this message from Forward Ministries. We pray it blesses you, encourages you, and inspires grace in you today. You can visit us online at forwardministries.org. Church is not about you coming and trying to make God happy. I mean, I hope you have that figured out. Most of you do. It's not about you coming to try to learn how to be a better Christian or to be a better citizen or how to vote or any of that stuff. It's, it's, it's him. How do we include God in every aspect of our lives in a real way, not in some churchy, religious, mystical way that doesn't make sense to us, but how do we live with him in a real way, under his influence, applying his principles for success in every area of life to the point that it actually changes us? Not that the work that we do makes him change us, but it's like, you know, it's like a, it, it's like a flower hiding from the sun is what we do. And if you just acknowledge God, if we can just shed all of the questions sometimes that we have, you know, because I know how it is. I have conversations with people all over the world, and it's like you get the questions about, well, did he did Noah really fit that many animals on the boat, or was it really six days, or what about the Sodom and Gomorrah? What about this? And it's like, you know what? If you grasp the heart of God, you grasp Jesus, then you go back and you look at that stuff, and it starts to make sense otherwise. I'm not going to try to give you a full discourse of the entire Bible right now, but you have to understand the heart of God first before you even go and deal with that stuff back then, right? So one of the things that I get to do is kind of deconstruct in this place some of the religious mindsets that have been built up. And, you know, I... I understand that it can sound negative sometimes, but really it's like we're, we're in this constant. The only thing that's left for you to do as a believer other than evangelize the world <laughs> is continually experience transformation, is to continually be yielded to God so that he is developing within you his purposes and his plans. That's the only thing that's left for you. And then you just acknowledge that and you just yield to that and, and you will follow him. So we're in this constant process of mind renewal, renewing our mind to experience transformation. So one of the <laughs> things that I do is just deconstruct some of the ideas that we have been built up in our minds through the teaching that we've gotten. Not that I've got it all figured out, not that this place has it all figured out, but there are some things that just are inconsistent with the gospel that we need to go back and retouch on sometimes. So we're in this series, and today I'm going to talk specifically about um, communion. This series that we've been talking about is um, being an overcomer, overcoming by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. And right, we hear those ideas, we hear those scriptures, we hear that kind of stuff taught, and it's like, all right, I, I, I understand that I'm supposed to be an overcomer, but how do I do that? And what does the blood have anything to do with it? And what does it mean, the word of my testimony? I mean, that just that sounds like, you know, something that Shakespeare would have written. That we just don't, it doesn't even make sense to us, right? The word of our testimony. So I love to try to make these things practical. What does that actually mean to us? So just a little bit of review. The blood 
we, the reason blood was shed, the reason specifically Jesus' blood was shed, is actually revealed under the Old Covenant Levitical priesthood. So all the way back to Leviticus 17.11, when God first institutes the sacrificial system, all the different types of sacrifices, he gives us a clue and he says, the reason for the sacrifice is because the life of the creature is in the blood. So it's an exchanging of death for life is what happens. Because we are dead in our sin before we meet Jesus, we exchange places with him through his blood or the life that's in his blood, and it gives us his life. So that's the process that we go through to become born again. But how that also continues to make you an overcomer because what his blood accomplished, you participate in. The inheritance that he gained and he earned by his faith and his victory, you participate in. So you're an overcomer, and you could kind of put blood slash life there because of the kind of life and the kind of victory that he has. You're a joint heir with him. Everything, all God's promises are yes and amen now when you're in him. So <clears throat> to overcome by the blood is to understand that he is a, he's real. He's not just out there waiting for you to die and show up so he can be really nice to you in heaven. I mean, we think that sometimes, right? It's like God's pretty angry with the earth, but he's really happy in heaven. It's like he needs you to die before he can be really nice to you. I, I, I don't get that. It's like Jesus prayed your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? Come on. That's the kind of relationship that we can have with him here and the kind of life that we can have here. So <clears throat> participating in Jesus' life is possible now in this place. And to the point that we're willing to believe him and, and let that be built within us. So when you overcome something, let's say you've got a particular sin that you just continue to struggle with. Because Jesus lived perfectly as a human, he gained absolute and total righteousness over this earth and over anything that would come against him. It says that he was a man tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. So the faith that was in him that was able to stay focused on God in the face of any and every temptation, you can participate in. So there's no temptation that you face that Jesus didn't face and walk victoriously over. You know, so the way that you overcome anything is because of what he has done for you. But the trick is, and not really trick, but the, the disconnect is, okay, well, how do I actually live in that? How do I actually let his victory become my victory? And, and that's where grace comes in. Grace is absolutely God's power alive within you. Grace is not just a doctrine. So, you know, it's popular to say grace isn't a doctrine, grace is a person. It's like, okay, well, I kind of get that. I mean, I understand what you're trying to say. It's all about Jesus. But what grace is, and, and pull up Ephesians 3 there, if you've got the notebook there. We're going to, and I'm still reviewing a little bit, and then I'm going to talk specifically about communion and get you out of here on time. But Ephesians 3, and I think it's in verse 14 we're going to start in. It's to me, or maybe 16, but to me it's the best description of the function of grace. Like we understand the doctrine of grace, right? We're saved by grace through faith, not of works. It's a gift, lest any man should boast. We can't boast in our salvation because it's by grace. 
And so what we have is a lot of people confuse the definitions of mercy and grace. Mercy is, I'm willing to forgive you in spite of your mess-ups. Grace is, here, here's some power to empower you before you enter into the destruction that you're about to choose here. We want grace. We want to choose the empowerment before we make the mess and need the mercy. <laughs> I pray you don't ever need mercy because you are so full of grace that you never miss it where you need the mercy. But you need some mercy, so it's available too. Put that passage up there if you would, Ephesians 3. Let's look at this. It says, I pray that out of his glorious... So remember, we're talking about how do we actually experience overcoming? How do we actually experience God's power? How do we not just have a distant concept of his spirit, but engage in the idea that it's in us and, and, and empowering us? Because it's hard, it's hard to get these concepts, right? It's like we live in this physical world and God's out there and we don't know how to get the two together. I think this is the description of what grace does and what it is and how to yield to it. So it says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That is a perfect description of the function of grace, that you become strengthened in your inner man, talking about your heart. I'm going to kind of wrap up this series today, and then I think next week we'll go into um, specifically talking about the heart and some of the dynamics of transformation and some of the meditative aspects of how to you know, meditate on Scripture and, and just deal with some of those. So next verse. <clears throat> so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. See, he's in your spirit, but you want to let him in your heart continually every day. And I pray that you being rooted and established in his love. People, I've heard people say, actually, I only heard one guy say, a guy that's kind of a critic of this message say, the gospel is not about the love of God. It's like, really? It's, it's the motivation of God toward us is his love. And, and the way that you experience grace is that you are rooted and established in his love. And then his love will do this in verse 18. You may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that passes knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And other translations talk about that you may become whole to the full, uh, with the fullness of God. But what this is saying is that as you are empowered by grace, rooted in his love, you become whole. Now, this is the Christian life. This is the promise that we have is that not only is there salvation for you, but there is wholeness for you. A lot of, a lot of people are taught that, all right, Jesus earned salvation for you. He says, you can come to heaven and live with me. And he's like standing up there with the door open, waiting for you to die to get there, hoping you make it. Like as if the rest of this life is supposed to be spent staying good enough to not lose your salvation so that you can get there. I mean, I'm oversimplifying it, but aren't, don't, have you ever thought those kinds of things? It's like, okay, well, Jesus made it available, but I better not mess it up in the process. They were looking at me like you never thought that before. <laughs> You're not supposed to lie in church. I know you've thought that before. 
But really, it's not about that. It's not about saying, okay, one day I'm going to get to heaven. I hope I don't mess it up until I get there. It's, no, Jesus has even given me the kind of life that he has here. And the way that it works, it can bring me to such a place of wholeness where I don't struggle with those sins that I used to anymore. I, I don't struggle with that fear. How many of you have been delivered from fear more and more since you've been hearing, you know, just the love of God message? Yeah, all over the place. I, I think that's probably one of the biggest strengths of this kind of message is understanding I, I don't have to be afraid of God. And you, you get to a place where you even shed the fear of death. You know, because the love of God becomes so real to you. It's like, pff, death, man, that's nothing. Let's get that on. Let's go. I'm ready. I just hope it don't hurt. <laughs> yeah, that's really about the only thing with it, really, that you to be afraid of is you don't want it to hurt. <clears throat> so understanding that, then you can deal with communion. So if you would, pull up 1 Corinthians chapter 11. See, because some of us have been taught that if you sin the week that you're supposed to take communion, don't take communion because God might kill you. You ever been taught that? One person. No, it's, and I, you know, I'm making light of it a little bit. I'm really not trying to make fun of the, the dumb things that we believe, maybe a little bit, but. I, I just want us to, to be free in every area and understand what, these, what Christianity actually is, participating in what he has done for us, living under his influence to experience wholeness. So I'm going to read through this. It's kind of a lot of reading. We've got time here. So this is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul is dealing with a church that had... Well, all the churches back then, you know, either they were either extremely legalistic or they were dealing with pagan influences. The Corinthian church was dealing with pagan influences. It was dealing with um, once some of the believers, you know, once they became believers, even after they became believers, they were judging each other by how much money they made. They were judging each other by what they were eating. They were judging each other by some of them were still keeping the feast and some of them weren't keeping the feast. You know, in the early church, you had some pockets of churches that were all Jews that had, you know, accepted Christ. But in the, out, in the further regions, you would get into some areas where it wasn't just Jews. It was, you know, the, the rest of the world coming to <clears throat> understand him. Now, they didn't have 2,000 years of church history like we do to to bounce off our ideas of Christ. They were brand new. Brand, I mean, you know, the Jews should have gotten it because they had had this sacrificial Levitical system for a while to point to this is what the Messiah is all about. But these other, these, some of these other people were just fresh. It was a totally new concept. So they were dragging their pagan beliefs into Christianity. And that's why you get a lot of a weird you know, mixtures in the East, and, and, and it's like they'll accept Jesus, but they still have all these other gods still. I mean, still. So Paul's dealing with this culture. Some of them are brand new. They're trying to make it work. They're trying to make it fit. It's like, okay, we get this Jesus guy, but we still have this God too, and we still have this practice, and, and so it's just a hodgepodge. So Paul's dealing with where, what they had done with the ceremony of communion, which came from Jesus Last Supper, we call it. He's eating with the disciples, and he says, look, continue to do this. Do this in remembrance of me because 
This <coughs> wine represents my blood, and this bread represents my body. And in this is the new covenant. So when you do this, you're remembering me. That's the only reason to take communion, is to remember him. Not to examine yourself to look for your own guilt and sin, but to remember him. So let's go through this, keeping in mind the audience that he's dealing with. <clears throat> so in the following directives, I have no praise for you. I mean, just right off the bat. It's like, you guys aren't doing very well in this spot here. For your, for your meetings, do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. So then, when you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper you eat. For when you're eating, some of you go ahead with your own private suppers, and as a result, one person remains hungry and another gets drunk. Go, go back for a second. Verse. I mean, think about this, right? You know how we do Sunday morning, first, the first Sunday of every month, communion. What if Donald and his clan were over there, and they're the ones over there getting drunk? <laughs> I mean, I just want you to understand the picture of what we're dealing with here, right? We're coming in, and we're supposed to be honoring and worshiping, and they're over there getting drunk. And maybe, I want, I don't, we'll just point like this row here. This, maybe this row right here is homeless, right? And they have nothing, and they've just made their way in here, and they're looking back there, and those guys are drunk, and then these are the rich people over here, and they're looking, they don't want to sit on this row over here with these guys, and it's like, okay, now let's all take communion together. That's what he's dealing with. For some strange reason, we make everything where there's warnings in the Bible about whether or not you're saved. You ever notice that? Do you do that when you read? It's like you come across a warning, like, oh my goodness, I hope that means I'm not, I hope that means I'm still saved. I must be hitting really close to home because y'all are quiet this morning. <laughs> so don't be showing up drunk for communion. Verse 22. Some of y'all might still have hangovers from Saturday night, but, you know, that's, that's the same thing. <laughs> don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God by humiliating those who have nothing? Now, remember... Paul is the same one that said there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is not about condemnation. This is about them experiencing life, okay? So what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you? Certainly not in this matter. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks and broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So up till 24 really is what he's dealing with. Communion is to do in remembrance of me. Now, we mostly know that, but the, where we go strange with it is these next few verses here. Verse 25. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And the early church was all about the resurrection. When it talks about proclaiming his death, it's also including his resurrection. 
the earth, if you go back and you look through the book of Acts, I mean, that was probably mostly what they majored on when they taught was the resurrection. So next verse. Uh, yeah. So then whoever eats the bread or drink, I'm just, I'm going to go ahead and read the rest and then we'll go back. So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves. Now, what's the other reference I have there? Second Corinthians what? Just underneath the other one. It's just written on the pad there. 13.5. When it, it talks about examining yourself in 2 Corinthians 13.5, Paul gives a little bit more insight on what it means to examine yourself and it means to examine yourself to see if you're in faith, not examine yourself to see if you're in sin. And that's what communion has become, and specifically in some denominations or some totally different groups. Communion, don't, you know, you come, you take the elements and then you go back and you sit and you think about, you know, it's like we're chill, it's like your child that's in trouble. You think about what you did. That's not what God's doing in communion. That's not what he's talking about. What, why do we take communion? To remember him. That's right. To proclaim the Lord's death, to proclaim the victory, to proclaim the resurrection. Not you sit back and try and figure out where you missed it. That's just, it's never even mentioned. So let's keep going. For those who eat and drink Without discerning or understanding the Lord, the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. Stay right there for just one minute. So the reason some are weak and sick and dead is because they didn't understand the Lord's body, is what it's saying, right? We know that he took in his own body our sickness, our disease, the chastisement needful for us to gain peace. So this is a pretty clear description, and, and this is challenging because he says some of you are sick because you don't understand what happened in the body of Christ. Some of you are not walking in divine health because you don't understand the exchange that happened on the cross that Jesus makes available for you. Some of you are weak because you don't understand the power of the exchange in the body of Christ. That's what he's saying here. Do you see that? I mean, I don't think that's a stretch. Verse 31. But if we were more discerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Back to 31 just for a second. See, if you understand with regard to yourself the body of Christ, you're not coming under judgment. So he must not be talking about judgment from God. He must be talking about you thinking that you're sitting in judgment. Because Jesus has already been judged in your place. You know, when you read things like this, you have to keep in context everything that's been taught about this subject. Are you following me so far? All right, so verse, next verse. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. This is a promise, this is a promise that when you are sitting there and you're not understanding the Lord's body and you're sitting there condemning yourself, the church has it so backwards because communion has been taught to sit there and judge yourself. And it's saying, don't do that. 
When you do that, there's nothing but condemnation left for you. But when you're under the Lord's judgment, you're taught. And discipline doesn't mean he's going to take your job away from you. You look up that word and it means to child train. It means to nurture and guide along the path. It's like, look, don't go that way. Go this way. This is, this is the path to success here. God is a good teacher. So don't sit under guilt and judgment. Realize in, a, in regard to you what the body of Christ means in that you were judged in him. Do you see that? All right, so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Because you hear this taught and you think, well, you're just eating, drinking condemnation to yourself. God's going to judge you. You might lose your salvation. You take communion without sin. You might be going to hell. I'm telling you, people believe that. This says when you understand in regard to you, the Lord's body, what? You're not condemned with the world. Amen? All right, next verse. <clears throat> so then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together. Anyone who is hungry should eat something at home. So that Do you see where he's, he goes back to talk about the original context of just being the right frame of mind when you're coming in to honor the Lord in this ceremony? He doesn't end it with a discourse of salvation. He's talking about how they're treating it in the church. So anyone who's hungry should eat something at home so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. See, every time we hear the word judgment, you get a picture of an angry God with a lightning bolt trying to decide, that's it, you know. That's the one you're going to hell now. And when I come, I'll give you further directions. It's really pretty, I mean, we just read it, right? I don't feel like I read a whole lot into that. You just kind of rearrange some of the understanding of what it is. It's all about regarding yourself in the Lord's body. It's all about understanding the Lord's body and you being in that so that you are free from condemnation and you are free from judgment. And in that process, absolutely the Lord will discipline you. Another verse uses the word chastise. Chastise means you know, it's actually not the word discipline here. It's the word chastise, which means child train, which means to, to, to teach as you would the favored child. Any of you grow up in a family where, you know, you... Don't raise your hand. It's like, there was a favorite, right? You're the favorite. You're the favorite. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, Right? The special treatment that, you know, God doesn't have favorites. He's a, not a respecter of persons, but everybody he treats as the favored child. That's what it's talking about. It's not talking about come in here, think about how bad you missed it that week. If you missed it too bad, you don't get to celebrate in the proclamation of the resurrection today. What? Really? That's the very thing that we need, is to be reminded of that. Because when you come in to take communion, or when you pray to ask God for help with that debt, or you pray to ask God for that help with that child, or 
you know, you've lost your job and you need direction, or you keep having these bursts of anger, or that thing that you just keep, you just keep missing it over and over and over. It's when, when you come in to the Father, and if that's what's in your mind, you're just going to sit there and you're going to miss out on the power of what happened in his body for you. It's not that he's withholding it from you. It's not that he says, you sinned, you can't have this power today. No, he's, it's, it's the blacked out tooth. He's, I see it. I see that tooth, and I want to be just like you. So I took upon myself your nature, your problem, your shame, your guilt, your death I became so you could be free. And I'm giving you communion to remember that, to celebrate that. And I, you know, Jesus taught, and this was one of the, one of the uh, teachings we did in this series, is that his blood is real drink and his body is real food for us. Now that sounds weird, but if you think of it in spiritual terms, the power of the nutrient, the, 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 the nourishing aspects of his life that we are connected to, that's, what, that's how you overcome. You know, that's what communion should be, not an examination of your, where you've missed it, but a remembrance of this power, this life that I am directly connected to. The life of God is in me. If you've said yes to Jesus, the essence of who God is, the strength of him, like it says in Colossians, the fullness of the Godhead bodily <coughs> dwells in Jesus. And Jesus is in you. That's the mystery that all the prophets sought to understand was that God is now going to live in you and empower you and strengthen you. And where he dwells has to be holy. So you've been cleansed and made a perfect place for God to live. You're the temple of the living God. Do you still miss it? Absolutely. Do you still carry guilt and shame? Sure we do. We don't get it right. We don't get it perfect. Jesus did. And to the degree that we can yield to that, we can live in his power. Because we know that our salvation is secure. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the salvation that you've given us. Thank you for the ceremony of communion. God, from now on, when we take it, we, just, we, don't, we do not want to be focused on ourselves. We want to honor you. We don't want to get our flesh in the way. We don't want to get our past in the way. We want to honor you because as we honor you, it strengthens us. And it causes our heart to become alive and, and influenced by your power for us. We are committed to letting you transform us. You've, you've given us a sure salvation. You have cleansed us and washed us and made us holy. You've given us a right state of being before you. God, we don't want to disrespect that. We want to yield to that. We want to live within that. We want to let your power, we want, we want to let your life continually transform us so that you would be glorified through our lives and our love for one another God, when we understand this, we can look at our brothers and sisters and realize, you know what, they're, they're just as messed up as I was, but God is in them, and I can love them back to a state of remembrance. You know, I, I, just, I just see this picture. I see 
the body of Christ, this body here, but the body of Christ as well, when we miss it, loving each other back to remembrance. You know, like, like tuning each other back to understanding that we are already in harmony with God. Getting us to take our mind and our eyes off of the mess that we've made and put it on Jesus within us so that we can actually deal with that mess and never create it again. And how it all works is you just say yes to him. You just acknowledge his presence and his power within you, and he will teach you and lead you and guide you. His grace will teach you how to live out that holiness that he's given you. Thank you, Lord, that your spirit is within us.